Welcome to the PSD Cast with your host, Jason Lumberg at Power Systems Design. And it should come as no surprise that energy companies are constantly collecting a long stream of sensitive and valuable data. The data might focus on how and when the energy is being used, peak times, and if you extrapolate it, it might allow the companies to draw conclusions about entire communities' power use, including power generation, distribution, and consumption. This is all based on a recent article by Farella Brown and Martell, a North Car- uh, California law firm, which concludes that all that valuable data makes for a tempting target by competitors in the energy space. We often focus on the privacy issues involved in data collection, and they are critically important while neglecting the idea of data as a tangible and valuable resource and how to protect it. So on the line, we've got the authors of that piece, Ashley Roybal-Reed and Nate Garhard with Farella Brown and Martell. So Nate and Ashley, welcome aboard. And like I said, this particular aspect of data collection doesn't get a lot of attention in, in our circles. So why don't, why don't one of you start out by describing the problem and why traditional intellectual property protections don't apply? Sure, happy to, Jason. So when we're dealing with intangible assets, non-physical assets, we usually look to intellectual property law for protection, uh, for legal protection. There's no question, as you noted, that data collections have become important assets of energy companies, and the companies want to naturally protect those collections from unauthorized use or misappropriation by third parties. But the traditional areas of intellectual property law, the ones that we're very familiar with, patent, copyright, and trademark, don't provide protection as a collection of data simply just, it just doesn't fit into any of these buckets. So let's talk about the three of those really quickly. Patent protects useful inventions. Well, data isn't invented, it is collected. You might be able to patent the method or system by which the data is collected, but not the data itself. Moving to copyright, copyright protects creative works of expression. Data, on the other hand, amounts to facts, and copyright does not protect facts. You might be able to protect a compilation of data in certain ways, but that protection would be very thin and would only reach the ordering or the specific creative aspects of the compilation and not the data itself. And then finally, trademark. Trademark protects source identifiers, that is brand, brands, uh, you know, Nike, Coke, NBC. There's no question that data collections just simply don't fit into this category either. So the big three of IP just don't fit when it comes to data. But protection is available, and federal and state trade secret laws fill the gap. Right, right. So, so you just mentioned a trade secret law, um, and, and, and in your piece you both mentioned that as a possible alternative. So what, what are the traditional qualifying factors for trade secret protection? So trade secrets are, to a certain extent, exactly what they sound like. They're secrets that are used in trade and that have tradable value. Ultimately, there's two key factors that allow some, something to qualify as a trade secret. The first is that it has to be a secret, um, kind of a tautological, but it needs to be something that is kept confidential and is known to a limited number of people, usually those who need to know, and that is subject to reasonable measures to maintain its secrecy. Um, and the second is that it has to have independent economic value. And at least some of that value has to come from the fact that it is secret and that other people don't have access to it. Uh, so there are countless things that could potentially meet those two criteria. And the classic example is the Coke formula. Everyone knows the ingredients that are in Coke because the FDA requires Coke to disclose them. They're on the can. They're on the bottle. 
but nobody knows how to make it. Nobody knows the ratios that the ingredients are used in because the formula is kept secret. And only a few employees there know the actual recipe. And we all know a lot of companies have tried to copy it, but nobody, nobody gets it quite right. It's never quite Coke. And that has a lot of value to Coca-Cola as a company. And if everyone suddenly figured out how to make it, it would be a big problem for them. Um, and so this, one of the things that means is that something that is patented can never be a trade secret. So sometimes, you know, you, you may have things that could qualify for patent protection, um, such as, you know, methods of collecting data or other things. But you have to disclose them in order to get a patent. So once that information is publicly disclosed, it's no longer a secret or a confidential. Um, so companies choosing an IP protection strategy sometimes have to choose between those two. Going back to the Coke example, it could have patented its formula, but that patent would have expired after 20 years, and then the formula would have been publicly known because it would have been published in Coke's patent application, um, which was around 1985. So around 2005, a bunch of competitors would have started to appear, and Coke couldn't have done anything about it. Um, so the same is true with, with data. It has to meet those two criteria. It has to be a secret, and it has to have value because of its secrecy and because other people don't know how to use it or how to do it. What it, or what it says. Okay. Well, could maybe maybe you could just extrapolate a little bit on, on that last point. Well, why um, why exactly would the data collected by energy companies qualify as a trade secret based on based on what you mentioned, and um, what would they have to do to further demonstrate that it fits that definition? Yeah, so I'll talk about that a little bit. So the first question I'd want to talk to the company about uh, and consider is how the company got the data. That is, is, it, is this publicly available information, or instead was it collected and compiled by some method that is not generally available to everyone? That is, did it come from the company's uh, own assets that are, are solely accessible to the company? We need to be able to confirm that the collection is truly a protectable secret. That is, that it's just not available to anybody else. The next thing I'd want to talk to the company about is whether the collection, as Ashley mentioned, has value. Uh, it's almost it almost certainly does, or the question of protection would likely not be considered at all. But I'd want to talk about why it has value and to whom it has value, because being able to explain and demonstrate the value of the data is key to being able to defend it as a protectable trade secret. Finally, I'd need to understand the steps that the company is taking to keep the collection of information confidential. That is, who is the company sharing it with and under what circumstances? What systems and processes does the company have in place to keep it secure and keep it secret? Being able to demonstrate that the collection of data is under lock and key, mainly that proper non-disclosure agreements, confidentiality agreements, etc. are used with business partners and employees and that the IT systems of the company have strong security measures in place are necessary to be able to protect the collection using trade secret infringement remedies. Right, and, and, and you know, again, we, we often focus on data security from a consumer perspective. I, we're a B2B magazine, but um, we just don't usually cover uh, this particular topic. Uh, so, so we usually neglect data security from the other side, so to speak. So what can companies do to protect such data internally, you know, especially as we define it as a trade secret? So that's a great point. And you know, it's important to remember when you're looking at protecting, trade secret or protecting data from this angle, what you're really trying to do is not 
you do want to protect the data, but it's also to protect it legally if a court has to look at whether or not you've taken steps to protect it. Um, because it's important to note that there's almost nothing you can do to ensure absolute protection, especially for something that your company has to use every day. If a few Coca-Cola employees got together and decided to put together the formula, they might be able to do it. And that wouldn't defeat Coke's trade secret protections. Uh, so this is really about ensuring that you can demonstrate to a court that you've made this effort to protect confidentiality. Um, so what's important is that you're taking measures that are reasonable under the circumstances to ensure protection and non-disclosure of the secret information. And Nate mentioned NDAs and confidentiality agreements, which provide legal protection against employee or partner disclosure. Um, there's also IT systems, which limit outside parties' ability to get a hold of the trade secret information. Physical security measures can be important, um, even just locking cabinets, keeping files in limited areas or in areas with limited access. Um, all of those things are measures you can do, take both to protect the data and to show that you are taking steps to protect it. Um, another thing you can do is ensure that key information is only shared with those who actually need to know it. A lot of information doesn't actually need to be accessible company-wide to all employees, so limiting who can access it is really important and is a really valuable step. Ultimately, okay. a lot of it depends on the Oh, sorry. Um, I was going to say ultimately all of it depends on the nature of the information and how you're using it. Um, sometimes stuff has to be shared with outside partners, so it really is a circumstantial analysis of whether, given the nature of the information in your use and its value, you're taking reasonable steps to protect it. Well, that sounds good. Well, one more question. I, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this. Well, what has the pandemic, which with its surge and uh, work from home policies, I, I don't know how it's been at the firm. Our, our magazine has always been um, remote work. What has that done to complicate or further this idea and, and protecting the data from a corporate perspective, or has it had no measurable impact? Yeah, Jason, there's no question. The shift to work from home has added a layer of, of complexity to the security that Ashley just talked about. Uh, and there are additional actions that need to be considered. One big one is that companies have control over their own networks that employees use when they're on site, but they don't necessarily even have visibility into the networks used by individuals working from home. When the confidential information, that is the trade secret, the data itself of the company is accessed by individuals at home, it will necessarily be accessible through the home network that can be hacked and that the company doesn't necessarily have the ability to protect. Thus, the company needs to put policies in place to define the necessary security of those home networks or create a VPN that will, or other IT solution that will act as the sole network through which the data collections are accessible. And then there are additional te technical protections, uh, encryption, remote download monitoring software, secure document exchange systems, and a host of others have become valuable tools in protecting confidential information shared over various networks in order to limit the risk of improper disclosure that would break trade secret protection. And, you know, maybe Ashley has another thought or two, but it's definitely uh, an issue that companies need to be dealing with. Ashley? Yeah, one other thing to note is that a lot of people now are using their own devices for work. Uh, some companies have sent out laptops or provided tablets or other things for people to use, but a lot of people are just giving employees stipends to purchase their own equipment or letting them use their home computers for work projects. 
Um, and if your company is doing that and those external devices are going to have access to confidential data, there's also additional steps that your company needs to take to address that, either limiting access to people so that only people working through some kind of VPN or closed system can access it, um, or uh, setting policies, specifically prescribing how people can access information and what they can store on their home computers, um, or requiring them to implement certain security measures on the computers or devices themselves. Um, and we've also been in remote work mode for long enough now that some people have changed jobs while working entirely remotely, and that also creates complications. Um, there's particular risk that that will be compromised if people have been using their home devices, and then they leave their job and go to a new job still using their home devices. So, um, or, or using a work device. So it's important to ensure that uh, devices are collected quickly when people leave a company and where they've been using their own devices uh, to ensure that company data is deleted from those devices as soon as someone leaves. Perfect. Well, and the thanks, Nate. I'm sorry, Jason. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go, no, go Just ahead. really quickly, the last, the last thing I'd add is that one of the keys is training. Uh, having policies is one thing, and getting those policies in place is, is one thing. But then the training is definitely an important aspect of this, making sure your employees know what's expected of them and what they need to do in order to help protect the company's assets. Here are the company's trade secrets. Mm -hmm. Well, um, again, th thanks again. And uh, on behalf of PSD, I, I want to thank you both for your time. And to our audience, thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and healthy, and have a great day.